Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. I'm Robert Rutherford. And I'm Andrew Orvidal. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. The show takes place on the third Wednesday of every month at the Buntport Theater in Denver, Colorado. These stories were recorded live on August 20th, 2014. The theme of the evening was Lost. We'd like to give a special shout out to our newest sponsor, Breckenridge Brewery, who is now providing beer at our live show. Thanks, Breck. If you'd like to know more about Breckenridge Brewery, visit breckbrew.com. Enjoy these stories. Uh, This next storyteller, he is the founder of the, one of the co-founders of the High Plains Comedy Festival. He is uh, Andrew's uh, partner in crime with the Grolix Comedy Group. And uh, I am super excited to have him here because he hasn't done this show in a really, really long time. So uh, the prodigal son has returned. So please give a uh, round of applause for Adam Catenholland. How about that, Ron Doyle, huh? Doing a great job. Who's ready for another sad story? I got one. <laughs> I'm going to read mine. <clears throat> this, uh, this story is called Just Keep Moving. I was addicted to the show Man vs. Wild for a while. It's a survival show starring Bear Grylls, a British adventurer stud who gets dropped into insane remote locations and then using nothing but what he has on him and his wits, survives for days at a time. I couldn't get enough of that show. Of course, later it was revealed that Bear was faking a lot of the stunts, that he would spend the night in a motel, or that a seemingly remote desert island was just a desolate part of the big island in Hawaii. But that didn't matter to me. I just loved the show. Plus, there was no faking the stunts he pulled off. I saw that guy drink liquid drained from elephant dung to avoid dehydration in the middle of the savanna. Staged or no, Bear Grylls was going to the limits to teach you about survival, to teach you what to do when you became truly lost. I remember his mantra in that show, just keep moving. He said it every episode, when all the odds are stacked against you, when it seems as if you're not going to make it, when you're completely and utterly lost out there, you just keep moving. It makes sense. When you're out of your element, away from normal circumstances and surroundings, you need something to focus your mind on, to keep you from panicking, to keep you from flipping out. That simple act of a desperate human to keep moving is the human's only hope for survival. It's a middle finger to being lost. Yeah, maybe it's a willful rejection of the reality of the situation, a refusal to admit the truth even, but fuck it, this is about life and death. You want to keep living? Keep moving. Plain and simple. So that's what I do. I've been doing it for a little over two years now. It's the only thing I can do, because when I stop and slow down and admit how lost I really am, it's like staring into the abyss. It's total, and it's all-encompassing, and it's so dark, and so easy to get swallowed by. Honestly, though, sometimes I do stop moving, but I don't beat myself up about it. I bet Bear did that, too. On some long, scary nights, back before the cameras started rolling, on some insane adventurer's trek to the Himalayas or Kilimanjaro, where things got terrifying and desperate, and he couldn't help but think about how fucked he really was, how unfair these new circumstances were. I bet he broke down. So I let myself do it, too. Occasionally, I'll allow myself to really internalize how lost I am, to really tap into it and feel it, and it's terrifying and overwhelming, and I break down for a little bit, but then I dust myself off, I pull myself up by my emotional bootstraps, and I just keep moving, because you have to. 
Otherwise, you'll wind up in the psych ward, like my little sister did. It's funny how when you look back on things, the moment right before you became so lost is the moment you felt so found. Or if not funny, tragic. I wonder if, that's way, if it's that way for everyone. It certainly was for me. In July of 2012, I was invited to be a new face at the Montreal Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. It was and is a big deal. It's like being drafted as a professional athlete. The big leagues have called you up. They have noticed what you're doing, and they like what they see, and they want to invite you to the show, kid. You ready for the show? For a comic, it's a dream come true, and for me, it was the culmination of a lot of hard work. Being a stand-up comic is hard work anywhere, but doing it from Denver is harder than a lot of places. To get recognized by the powers that be from such an obscure, not New York or Los Angeles kind of town is an accomplishment, an achievement even, and I was proud of it. It felt like things were finally working out. I performed great, crushed is the parlance we use here in the biz. I got a lot of press, got signed to a fancy agency, and I decided that I would move to Los Angeles now to go for it. After years of meandering, after years of figuring out the path I wanted to be on, I felt like I was finally on it. I felt like I was finding myself, like I was starting to be found. And then I got lost. I got off the plane from Canada to a message from a friend that my little sister had acted insane while I was gone. Unfortunately, that had become all too common in the recent months. She had made a seat in a bar. The details are unimportant. But a friend felt concerned enough to call me, and so I called my sister, and she collapsed into hysterics. And I went and picked her up, and I tried to talk to her. She had gone to the psych ward a month prior, overdosed on pills. I carried her into the hospital myself. And she had swore it wasn't intentional. She was just trying to sleep. And for some reason, we believed her. We didn't know better. This had never happened before. She had never gone so far down the rabbit hole. This was Lydia, our Lydia, my little sister, the funniest girl I ever met. We believed her, trusted her, and loved her. She bounced back from that experience and seemed to be earnestly trying to make herself better, taking new medications, going to yoga classes, hiking, trying to find peace. We had no idea she was keeping such a dark secret. She promised us she was not. We asked her directly. I remember how lost she seemed that day after I came back from Montreal. I picked her up to take her out for breakfast, and we drove by an Ethiopian church, and the entire congregation was exiting out onto the steps in front. Worshippers spilling out of a sermon, the women dressed all in white, some of the men wearing beautiful headpieces that were strange and exotic looking. And I remember telling Lydia to look at that scene, to take it in. I know nothing about their religion, I told her. I don't know what they're wearing that stuff for. I don't understand the significance, but just look at how beautiful they look. This group of strangers who, for whatever reason, are displaced some 5,000 miles from their home on the high step of Denver, worshiping the same way that they did back in their homeland. I tried to remind her that, all in all, the world is a beautiful place, full of mystery and treasures and adventures, full of people and communities and revelations that we aren't even aware of, so why get so bogged down in our own bullshit? She humored me, smiled weakly, but she was defeated. Her mental illness was winning completely. These those Ethiopian worshipers didn't matter to her. She could barely see them. She couldn't see beyond what was plaguing her. She was just too lost. We got waffles with peanut butter and Nutella on them, and then I dropped her off back at her house. That was the last time I ever saw my little sister alive. So now I just keep moving. It's the only thing I can do. I've had three significant breakdowns since Lydia died, one just the other day. And every time I do, I'm responsible about it. I honor those feelings. I allow myself to mourn. I go to therapy, more than anyone really knows. But then I allow myself to move on, because that shit is so all-encompassing, so profoundly and totally soul-devouring, an anguish that literally makes it hard to breathe, that you have to pull out of it. You can't allow yourself to feel it for too long. You can call that denial if you want, 
You can call that blocking it out, but I think anyone who has lost someone close to them knows that anguish and the danger of feeling it too deeply, too often. It's so easy to tap into, but buyer fucking beware. Because once you tap into it, it's not so easy to pull back out. It swallows you, the darkness. And then you realize how lost you are. Yeah, there's a freedom in that too, letting go, surrendering to it, the nihilism. But then three days have gone by and you've forgotten to eat and you're like, oh yeah, I'm lost. Time to keep moving. I don't want to stay lost. People have commented me about all that I've accomplished in the two years since my little sister Lydia died. Like it's really lit a fire under my ass. Convinced me of my own mortality or something. Motivated me to start achieving things that I've always wanted to do. I thank them for the kind words, but I know I have no other choice. Once one task is finished, the, must, the next must be begun. No time to sit. No time to wallow in it. Staying put is giving in. It's admitting that you're lost, and I'm not going to admit that. I can't. Because if I do, I'll worry I'll be lost forever. So I keep moving. I move past the sad glances and whispers about what happened to me. I move past the conversations with friends who say, if you ever need to talk about it, we're here. And so you start to talk about it, and they remind you, okay, man, well, if you ever need to talk about it, we're here. Isn't that what I was just trying to do? Should I set up an appointment? It's not their fault. It's awkward. They don't know what to do, what to say. Nobody does. So you keep moving. I move past my mother not recovering. I move past my dad overcompensating. I move past my sisters and mine own drunken breakdowns. I just keep moving. I move past the concern that there's something in my DNA that is predisposed to this. The handful of relatives that have chosen to end their lives this way too. The feelings that would be reckless of me to pass on these corrupted genes. They would be wrong of me to start a family because the well is poisoned. I move past those feelings. I move from stage to stage to tell jokes to strangers. I keep moving through long articles I write trying to tell the world about my little sister. I move past the concerns that I'm being exploitative of my own sadness, milking it for attention or popularity because I know how much people eat this shit up, how much people like to assign the darkness to the comedian. Robin Williams much, anyone? I move past the feeling that by bringing it into what I do, into my writings and musings, I'm capitalizing on all of it in some way. Because lately I've started to not care when or where is the proper forum to express my feelings of grief and remorse and just plain heartache because I miss my little sister so bad. Does it make you uncomfortable? My apologies, but I don't really fucking care. This isn't about you. This is about me and my sister and my survival. I'm figuring this shit out as I go. And I'm going with everything I got because going helps me feel like a sane person. Going helps me not dwell on things. Yeah, I stop and tap into it every now and again, but those moments are getting farther and farther apart. Because when you're lost, there's nothing more foolish than lamenting how lost you are. Just ask Bear Grylls. That's the quickest and easiest way to die. And I'm trying to live, to be found. So I put my best foot forward every day that I find myself able to. I push things down deep inside of me every day, and I pray they don't boil over and explode. I just keep moving. Thank you. Uh, we have, uh, for our final story, we have two, double your pleasure, two storytellers. Uh, these, these gentlemen are in town from Los Angeles by way of Boston for the High Plains Comedy Festival. Uh, these two comedians are, we, we love them. We love them. They're great. They've done, this, they've done the show before, and we're really excited to have them back again. Please welcome Dave and Chris, the Walsh Brothers. 
Uh, how about another round of applause for everybody you've seen tonight? Adam. That's right. Harry. Great storytelling. So uh, at some point to, uh, in our story, you're going to detect a hint of an accent from us. That's right. Uh, that's because my brother and I, we were born and raised in the movie The Town. Uh, we come from The Town, The Town. The Town. Uh, ben Affleck directed our upbringing. That is a lie. Um, so uh, the name of that town is Charlestown, Massachusetts. It's a square mile. It's where the Battle of Bunker Hill was fought. That's where the USS Constitution, Old Ironsides, resides. Still resides. Yes. Um, and we are from there, and uh, our story isn't... A lot of kids... One of, the, one of the things you need to know about our town is growing up, it had the highest unsolved crime rate in the world in, like, the 1980s. Murder. Uh, murder. Murder. Murder rate, uh, so which is you know worse than just the crime rate, I'd say. Um, Every other crime they could solve, really, like yeah, that, yeah, they but murder like, we did it? for some oh, reason. I, I did it. People would just yeah volunteer themselves, yeah. but murder, manslaughter, they'd it. line up at the police. Um, and what generally would happen is somebody would get like shot in a bar or shot on the street, and there would be like a you know the whole town would see it or the whole town would know, and nobody would say a thing. It's called uh, the Code of Silence. I've been trying to make a movie about it for a long right. time now. Usually just terrible movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and by the way, when people find out we're from Charleston, like if people really like that where you're from, how they're depicted in the movies, and we're always like, mm, they got it right. Um, yeah. A lot of pieces of shit where we're from. <laughs> uh, and it Horrible comes from people. a place of poverty. A lot of right. poor people. Uh, in this square mile, there are three sets of projects. And... Um, so, and you know, a lot of people would hand down, say, like, bank robbery as a craft. Like yes. a father would teach his son or he'd bring him in on a job. I mean, it's funny, but it's it's actually mostly true. I mean, yeah. kids uh, that when we so were So we had up, two parents. We had right. two parents who were, who were there for us the whole time. We a lot of kids lucky. grew up with, right. with no parents. Neither of them bank robbers. And, um, and because of the town where it resides, uh, such a lovely part of Boston, we never felt the need to leave the house. And for a long time, our parents, they still live with us. And, uh, Which was, was pathetic. Right. They were in their 50s, I mean. And everything, yeah. Get out so, and get a job, Mom. Right. They're hiring everywhere. So uh, my... Get out and shovel, for Christ's sake. Our older brother uh, became a cop at some point, and he still didn't leave the house, which right. lent us It was like a sitcom, you know? Our brother was a cop. Our, our sister, sister was, was pregnant, not married. Right. And um, by Jesus. <laughs> and then... Um, that's how it happens so it, in an Irish Catholic family. It lent the opportunity for a lot of comical situations for right. us. We would dress up in my brother's uh, police uniforms and then just walk the streets in them. Or drive I, around in our mother's Volkswagen, like right. telling people to keep it moving. Dressed as cops. There's nothing to see here. Right. All right. Um, and so, you got any drugs on you? No? Yeah, Give them a, to me. Popular. And so uh, one thing... Um, we did, when we started doing comedy, we started making videos. And we had our own show and stuff. And we used to make these real-time videos where stuff would happen live. Like, for and instance, then, we would have a heckler in the audience. Someone would be heckling us the whole time. And everyone here would be like, shut the fuck up. Right. And, you and then we you would carry know. the guy out. And we, would, we filmed a video where we carried him out. Now, we had this, like, uh, this myth, this sort of urban legend in our town of the clown. The clown. It was a guy who dressed up in a, as a clown. And he drove around in a white van. Which like they could never find him for some reason. But then you're not, you're not revealing right. what he did. Supposedly he, was, he would he would touch kids. Right, he, he was, was a, a pedophile clown. He was a pedophile kid touching clown in a white right. van, and the right. cops could never catch him. Right. Um, 
So this this myth persisted, and we were and lived in fear right. of this. You couldn't thing. even just go like three blocks to the it boys and girls club without hiding under the, cars every time you thought you heard a the white clown. Band coming. The clown was our Iliad. That right. was our Iliad. We grew up with this, and we and meanwhile, just down the street, there were very real priests. Really touching, touching all children. the kids, and nobody Boston, saying a word kids. about just this. Now people are just they're given churches for their right. troubles. So um, we lived in fear of this clown. So when we got older, we kind of capitalized on this, where we took this heckler and we ushered him into a van right. that our friend drove and in honor of the clown, dressed as a clown, yes. waiting in a van. So we filmed this video, and that night we were filming that video. We had we were driving around the town, dressed as a clown, in this white van, with our friend stuffed in a trash bag, where we were like a guy dressed scenes. as a clown, right. And uh, we had these lights. It was like 1 o'clock in the morning. And so we're driving around for a while, and eventually uh, getting footage. It's kind of um, like one of those nights where you're maybe a little too drunk. You shouldn't be driving or really high, and you're just driving around. You're like, I'll get high. There won't be any trouble. And then you see cops just like everywhere you turn. You know what I mean? Like a cop goes by you. So we're in this van driving with the clown, and the cops drive ro- directly by us. On a they very look small at us street. in this window and they and give we us have a, We have lights on the clown. You know, we're trying to light him really nice, yeah, yeah. make him look creepy while yeah, yeah. he's driving around. From in below? Van, you Has know? anyone ever taken a we selfie we from down smart, here? You know? Ooh, and not then, pretty. And, and so we drive by our first cop of the evening and my friend's the like... The look oh. on this cop's face. Just like... He was so helpful, helpless. Like He, he looked just at watched us like, this clown drive. There he is. Been looking for this guy <laughs> since the 70s. So... And there he is, but our friend, he never stopped. He never stopped. The just cop kept going. Kept going. We we're like, we this just is the per. And our friend informed us at that point that he had had a his dry his license was revoked. He couldn't. And we were like, you shit. That's not something you tell us as the first. Co- you know, as a cop drives by us. But, but in all honesty, we didn't give a shit. Right. We didn't care. Um, you know, so on, we tr- on with the show. We, we gotta get drive our scenes a little filmed. We drive a little further, right. and then another cop flying like, by. Like the further, going. like two blocks. There's another cop. Charlestown's a, it's one square mile. It's tiny. Eventually, four or five cops pass us, right. and we're wondering what the hell is going what on. Where they don't want to even pull us over for curiosity's sake. So we get home that night, and later on that night, uh, our brother gets in really late, and uh, we are informed that there was a, a murder at a local bar. We have uh, uh, we have quite a few bars in our town. Uh, and we have three Sullys uh, in our town. Sullivans. Yes. And they're, none of them are owned by the same people. Right. They're all We have a new Sullys, an old Sullys, and a regular Sullys. Right. And, so uh, you got to clarify with people which yeah. Sullys you're going to be at. You were drinking Just it. Re- regular Sullys. So there was... Uh, regular Sullys. So there was... Somebody got killed at Sullys. Right. And our brother came home, and it turns out that this kid we grew up with, uh, who's named Kika, that's his name, uh, killed, killed somebody, stabbed right. him to death. So that's the end if of that. If you used his regular name, you wouldn't. People would be like, who are you so talking about? Kicker went and he hid, and he wasn't found for three days. And my brother was brought in. He was in the gang unit. It wasn't a gang issue, but because he grew up in the town, he knew everybody. He knew where all the people so would hide. He kind of orchestrated this whole uh, um, search to find this kid who is our age and we, right, grew, we up grew up with, with him. Went to camp with and. Just a punk his whole life. Right, you know, like up any, any person we grew up with. Eight years old, and then he just went in the other direction, and we went in the direction of right. Doritos and the other direction, the, the other direction being prison. Yeah. So there's um, Doritos and prison. And we still have That's an element. We this, still have an element of mischief, right. but it kind of stops at killing people, I right. think. We, we uh, dress people up as clowns. Right. 
That's our mischief. So, uh, so he searches. So after three days, they find him hiding in a house, and they get him. They take a him year in. and a half later. A little backstory on me. Year and a half later, he was up for um, his his the case was trying happening. Right. I hadn't had to serve jury duty uh, my adult life to this point because I had uh, I was convicted of a crime myself. He had a prior, right? As they um, say in Boston, he had a prior. So I didn't have to. I now you get some priors. Yeah. That's probably the best thing about having a prior is that you don't have to serve jury duty. Right. Everything else sucks. You or, can't get and hired. you don't have to listen to racist Boston people say, just go in and say something racist. Right. They'll just yeah. dismiss yeah, you just right away. Just say something racist, then they won't put you on jury duty. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. You can say a million things, but you got to be racist to get off. Is that <laughs> right. how it works? So uh, the day I go in for jury duty, we got brought into a courtroom, and there is Kika. Right. Sitting in this court, that we I somehow am played football with. in the jury pool of this kid I grew up with. And I think this is great. <laughs> First case back. Yeah, I'm like a homicide detective I who just came back from Barbados. And I'm walking by and I'm trying to sneak past this kid. I don't want him to notice me, and he just he's just watching everybody like who's going to decide my fate. When in reality, he didn't give a shit. He he's just looking at girls he wants yeah. to fuck. He's just a and, horrible, uh, horrible piece of shit. Right. So. um I'm walking by, and he's like, Walshy. Just started saying, Walshy. And I'm like ignoring this guy with my Dean Koontz novel. And he's like, <laughs> which, which one was Twilight it? Eyes. Oh, it was no, Twilight, Twilight Eyes. Eyes. That's I was our reading favorite. it for the fourth That's time. That's our favorite. And uh, I'm walking by, and he's like, Walshy. Walshy, what's up? What's up, guy? And uh, What's up, guy? How you like, been? I was like, nothing, Kika. He's like, how you doing? I was like, a lot better than you, Kika. <laughs> Uh, you have to be frank with these people. Yeah. And um, he's like, yeah, well, how's your mother? I'm like, you don't even know my mother, Kicker. Just shut That's the true. fuck up. Sit there. And we, everybody knew he did this thing. It was... It's a small town. Right. Any people knew the person he killed, and nobody liked him for it. And, uh, and then people were giving us trouble, like all the, the, the kids who... Our punks were giving our family a little bit of trouble because my brother our was brother the arresting was, officer. Right. So we sit. And I sit. And also because those kids are pieces of shit. I, I sit. I don't know if I need to clarify that, but I thought I would. Over uh, off to the side, and they start listing. Your they, brother's a cop guy? Fuck him. Oh, <laughs> all right. Just, he's a good guy. Uh, maybe he isn't. Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Um, and so... Um, they start announcing the case. The judge or the clerk starts saying uh, what the case is. And at one point, they introduce uh, the defendant. And they have the lawyer stand up, and he says, uh, Your Honor, uh, my client, uh, Francis Lang. Now, this kid's at name, this point, I just said, was Francis Lang. Very few people, who's even here. in our town, cousins of this of Kika, know that his name was Francis Lang. Everybody is given a nickname. Kika stuck... It could be like the final Jeopardy question, and everybody in Charlestown would have gotten I it. Wrong. I didn't know that was his yeah. name. His no name was Francis Lang. <sighs> it doesn't even have an O yeah. before it. And so, Kiku was sitting there, who's very proud. Like, and essentially, the only thing this kid has is his name. So, right. when he hears Francis Lang, he tugs on his uh, attorney's Gives him a blazer, nice. who leans over, who just had this look of complete defeat and he says i'm sorry uh judge my client francis kicka he actually said i screwed that up he actually said francis kicker and he Lang. pronounced the er right like any which you know, to which kicker now started pulling does. on his jacket again 
wanted him to get it right. When he pronounced it kicker, kicker just leaned on his lapel again, and he pulled him down, and then the judge came back, and he's like, I'm sorry, Your Honor, kicker, my defendant kicker. And Kick is sitting back like he just ate a million canaries, like he was the happiest, and feathers are just coming out of his mouth. He was so proud. Kicker, there it is. It's on the record. That's it. It's on the record. Send me to jail now. Um, so at some point, they start going through all the list of uh, people who, who you start after raising your hand for if you know any of the people involved in the case or what happened in the information from they start. Uh, so does anybody know the first question anybody know the defendant I raised my hand uh, does anybody um, know the defendant's family raised my hand does anybody know the person who was killed uh, does anybody know an arresting officer so I raised my hand for like is 31 out of the 35 questions officer? did anyone grow up with the defendant <laughs> right play football with him does anybody know what the defendant's fantasies right. are and I was like uh, <laughs> um my, I felt like I was in the fourth grade and I was <laughs> you an gotta eager... you got to switch arms where you got to go to the yeah, bathroom yeah. and the teacher's like working on a math problem on the board. And so I... And they're dismissing people around me constantly. Right. It's like, what do I got to do? Say something racist to get dismissed from <laughs> So eventually they whittle it down. It's like, it started with 100. Say there's 40 left. They start bringing you up in front. Now, in this, front of the You're judge. the cream of the crop. Like, I right. could be cho- picked for this. I could send this guy away. Be splitting rocks in no time. Um, so we have to we have to wait two by two. Uh, they have this old Noah's Ark system in Boston Municipal Court um, before you go up and see the judge, and which means I had to wait by Kicker. So when I go next to Kicker, he's like, "So Walshy," he's like, "How you doing?" No, seriously, how you doing? I was like, uh, "Not too great." He's like, uh, "Walshy, I got I got something to ask you." He's like, "You know, uh, I could really use you up there." I was like, up where, kick? I, you know, up in the jury. I could really use On you the, up there. You know, up there. You know, code of silence and everything. And I was like, uh, I bet you could, Kicker. I bet you could. And uh, I didn't say anything else. And uh, they called my name. And I walk up there. And they were like, uh, so, Mr. Walsh, uh, is there any reason why you can't serve on this jury? Is there any reason, you know, any conflict of interest? I was like, well, I, I know and grew up with the person who killed the man. I just uh, admitted that I knew he was guilty, um, thus hopefully dismissing me. And they're like, anything else? I was like, well, the arresting officer is my brother Michael. They're like, is there anything else? I was like, where's the kangaroo in this court? They probably got a little curious. Yeah. Like, how many connections to this fucking guy do you have? Right. And What's then on the third on one, they asked me, they were, and, and they were like, is there anything else? And I was like, well, you know, right before I got up here, <laughs> your defendant said to me, I could really use you up there. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> the judge just gaveled, and he's like, dismissed. And, uh, and that's it. That's our hey, story. Rondo Thanks a lot. We're the Walsh Press. Have a great night, everybody. The Narrator's Podcast is recorded and produced by Ron Doyle. The Narrator's Podcast is brought to you by these amazing sponsors. 
The great guys at Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Records, who in addition to providing rad burritos all over town, provide great local music and comedy. Check out the appropriately named Sexy Pizza at either of their locations in Capitol Hill or Old South Pearl, or on their website, sexypizzaonline.com. And finally, by the internet superheroes at Commerce Kitchen, who provide internet marketing solutions and search engine optimization for all your e-commerce needs. Check them out at commercekitchen.com. For more information about The Narrators and to listen to past episodes, go to thenarratorspodcast.com. Thanks for listening.